Well, hey, a big welcome to our Sozo City YouTube channel, and we're so glad you're joining us, whether you're in our, uh, one of our homes, one of our Sozo groups, or maybe you're at your house, or uh, maybe you're watching this later on our YouTube channel, or even on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We just wanted to say a big, warm welcome to our church, and if you are new and you maybe stumbled upon us, we are so glad. We're uh, we a community here in the North Shore of Chicago, and if you live around here, we'd love to have you join us in person but as you know, if you've been a part of our community, we are in a miracle season right now. We actually just put a bid in for a building about a couple weeks ago, and we are really believing, we are really praying uh, for this new step and this new future for our church. And so if you would, would you still be praying for us? Would you be praying uh, for financial provision? Would you be uh, praying for favor for this building? It would be such a game changer for our church. And if you would like to financially support us, uh, you can go to sozo.city forward slash give and you can uh, be able to sow into uh, us as a church and into the vision for our church. But hey, we have such a special uh, upcoming message. Pastor Lungs is bringing part two of Press for Promise. If you haven't watched last week, I'd, I'd really encourage you to go watch part one. But we're really in for a special treat. So get your Bibles out, get your notes out, and we get ready for the word. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. So glad you have joined us this morning for part two of Pressed for Promise. I don't know about you, but um, again, just this season in our church, it's miracles, it's miracle season for our church, has stirred my faith, has had me again, just I'm, I'm up most nights, up early, I'm late, late night, just my heart is being stirred for all that God is doing, not just in our church collectively, but in your individual lives. I pray that you're leaning into these words. I pray that you're leaning into the season as a church. I know so many of you uh, who are watching faithfully, part of our community, and again, many of you across the globe who are watching with us, I know that there's so many things we're believing for, so many things we've been praying for, so many things we're trusting God for. And I'm so glad that we, as the people of God, that in times like these, like the reality is, you know, all people everywhere, regardless of whether they know Christ, have need in their life. But I'm so grateful that we, as the people of God, when we have need, when we're in need of a miracle, when we're in need of a breakthrough, when we're in need of, of miraculous provision, I'm so grateful that we don't have to look within, but we can look to the Word of God that stirs our faith to trust it again in the God who is faithful and the God who is able. And I am really, really thrilled to hear the great reports that come in about what God can do in your life, what God has already done, and what God will continue to do. I really do believe it at church for us, and I pray that you believe it with me too, that we are truly entering into miracle season across the wide spectrum of our church, and I can't wait. You know, last week, we began uh, talking out of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30, and we really talked on this idea of press for promise. And, you know, I, I, I love even just as I was thinking about it to, again this morning, as I was going to bring this word, just the idea of the promises of God. I mean, don't you just love, I'm trying my hardest, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm trying my hardest to be more uh, um, composed this morning, more uh, uh, tethered to the ground this morning, so that I can get ahead of myself. But it's hard not to get excited when you talk about the Bible. It's hard not to get excited when you talk about the promises of God. You know, there's just been scripture that's just running in my, in my heart all week leading up to this weekend. Just that, uh, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. It says this, for all the promises of God. In fact, it says this, no matter how many promises there are, no matter how many promises there are of God, He, His answer for us is always yes, and through Him, we say amen to the glory of God. The promise, other versions say this, the promises of God are yes and amen. Yes and amen. I don't know what that does for you, but I know what it does for me. As I think through my life and as I think through the words that I've received from the Lord, as I think through my future, as I think through my children, as I think through the things that really sit, sit heavy on my heart and burden me, I'm so grateful that as I consider the promises of God, I am reminded that we serve a God who is faithful and who does not bend to the left or to the right, but is steadfast and is true to his oaths. He always says yes and amen. If God has promised it, he is faithful to bring it to pass. If you believe it, can you say amen? And so I was thinking about that again, but we, as discussed last week, what I've begun to discover as I've walked this life with Christ for now well over a decade, and as again, as I've looked through scripture, every promise comes with a season of pressing. We can't avoid it. It's unavoidable. It, it, you, you can't pump it up somebody else. That we, we are always going to be pressed 
for promise. It was true of Abraham. I was looking again through the Old Testament. It was true for Abraham. You know, when he receives this, the promise of, of his son Isaac, a promise he had been waiting for, a promise that seemed impossible, that now he's holding in the palm of his hands. He has seen him grow up before his very own eyes. And I'm sure there were moments in time when he was celebrating, praising God for Isaac, this great, great promise fulfilled. And, and, and yet here we get to a moment where now Isaac, where, where Abraham is pressed in the middle of his promise as now he is tested by the Lord and has to take up Isaac. And for, for all idea, he knew that he was going to have to lose his promise. And, but that was a season of pressing. And we know the story ends that God begins to provide the very same ram that was to use as a sacrifice to test Abraham's obedience. And I think through it's, it's also true of Moses, who Moses, if God begins to do a work in his life as he's living in Egypt and begins to give him a promise so that he would be the deliverer of God's people. And, and, and as, a, as a result of the promise that was on his life, he goes into a season of pressing as he lives four decades amongst the Midian. Nights. It was true um, of, uh, of, the, of the Jewish people who, again, who had been waiting, long awaited, longly waiting for the promise of the Messiah, but went through decades, centuries, generation after generation of pressing for this long awaited Messiah. It's true for us and true of the, of the New Testament believers who were waiting for the fulfillment of the promise of salvation. And this is, again, I labor on this because this was the backdrop of the text that we dived into last week in 1 Samuel 30. The promise of Ziglag, Ziglag a territory that was promised to the tribe of Judah. And they received the promise to the line of David and David inhabits the promise. They're living in the promise and again, but as they enter the promise, they enter the season of pressing. They are pressed for the promise. And again, as we discussed last week, we would have found that um, you know, one, one of the things that, that was so beautiful about it, we, we don't like the idea of hearing that we are going to be pressed for the promise, but the reality is, as we learned last week, the pressing produces. The pressing is for purpose. The pressing, number one, I think, as we, as we dive into this passage, the pressing will uncover what's in you. We saw of David. David, it, it showed true. This is why I believe David was always a person after God's own heart. Because as he was pressed for the promise of Ziglag and what was to come, in fact, if you read later, the, the crown that was his comes and finds him in Ziglag as, as he fulfills the testing of the pressing. And in fact, it says this, that, that as David was pressed, it uncovers what was in him. And unlike those who surround him, David, at no point did David curse God. At no point did David curse his fellow man or curse his brother. And I love this, at no point did David ever capitulate to the cries of the community surrounding him. As we look at the story in 1 Samuel 30, if you need a recap, go back and listen to last week's message. But again, they are, they, they've come back from, they've come back from Afek on the front lines of battle and they've come back. It's a three day journey that way and a three day journey back to find that their home, their home has been burnt down. Their wives and children have been taken as slaves and they have lost everything. And it is in this moment that they are pressed in the middle of the promise. And you start to watch as the people, as the people surrounding uh, David begin to grumble and argue and curse and, 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 but watch David's disposition. He does not. And I just love that disposition that, you know, it reveals what's in you. David has the, had the strong faith. Now, it, now here's the reality. It doesn't mean that he didn't weep. In fact, the Bible makes it let us know. He wept as loud as they wept. He hurt as much as they hurt. You know, to be strong and to have a strong conviction does not mean we, we are not without the emotions that accompany that of being human and actually going through tough trials. But he weeps at them, but he never curses God. And, and again, what I also learned about the pressing in the promise is that the pressing will examine your foundation. What is your life built on? Who is your source? In whom is your trust? And what have you built your faith upon? And what have you built your life upon? And whom do you go to in times of great need and trouble? And again, it was a great revealer for the mighty hundreds of men who were with David, who began to curse David and, and begin to come after David and want to stone David because it revealed that the foundations of their faith, the foundations of their trust, the foundations of their future that they built their lives upon was built on David. And when it all began to crumble, they began to cry out to David. But I love as you look again, in verse 6, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, it says this, that David, he did not strengthen himself in his fellow man. David did not strengthen himself in his property or acquisitions. David did not strengthen himself in his own ability and own wisdom. But David, it says, strengthened himself in the Lord his God. His immediate reaction was to go back to where he had been every day, to where he had been every year of his life. He had been the kind of individual who had built a reliance, who had built a trust, who had built a dependence on the Lord his God. 
This was not the first time. The pressing is not the first time you will try something. The pressing reveals habits you've already developed into your life. And I wonder what the pressing will reveal in you and me. I pray that the pressing in us will reveal that we have a dependency on God. And I tell you what, we have been through a season. We have been through some months, both individually and corporately. And I am so glad that I have found that the pressing, even in this season for us as a church, has produced in me a dependence like David to strengthen our ourselves in the Lord who is our God and to inquire it says this in verse I think it was verse 7 that David then inquired of the Lord as to what to do next the pressing examined David's foundations and found that he had built his trust and built his faith and built his hope on God and God alone. And my God, if that is not a lesson to be learned for the rest of our days, I pray you would catch it today, that there is nothing else, there is no surer a foundation, there is no greater an anchor for your soul than to build your foundation upon him who is immovable and him who is faithful. And we get to now where we are today in verse eight, which is gonna be our key passage for this morning, it reveals, as I want to discuss today, how the pressing, the pressing will again test the validity and the veracity of your steadfastness and your convictions. I'll say it another way. The, the, the pressing will test your resolve and your convictions. And so we pick up today in verse, verse 8 from 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 8. And this is the passage I wanted, I wanted to preach from this morning. So if you have your turn it together. It says this. Now this is after David has inquired of the Lord. And it says this. He inquired of the Lord. And he asked the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will we overtake them? And this is the Lord's response. Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. If that other version said this. Pursue them, answered the Lord. You will certainly recover all that has been taken. I don't know about you, but oh, God, I love the Bible, church. I love the Bible. I pray you do too, and I pray you always read it. I know I encourage you around this every week, but it's just so good. My greatest, uh, my greatest goal, my greatest measure of success in pastoring this community is to pastor people into the Word, is to pastor people into relationship with God, because there is nothing more fruitful, there is nothing more sure for your faith and your life than to build your life in the Word, to fall in love with the Word of God, to unpack it and to uncover and let it stir your faith that you might finish the race and hear those great words, well done, good and faithful servant. I was looking at this passage. You will certainly overtake them and succeed. You will certainly overtake them and recover all that has been taken. I don't know why it has stirred me so much, but I, again, I think as I thought through where we are as a church, as I thought through so many of you, your individual stories, as I considered your families, as I considered your children, as I considered your careers, as I considered some of your, again, some of the things that have happened in your lives, I just felt like this was a word for our church. This was a word for our community that let me encourage you this morning that the Lord is telling you, pursue, pursue, pursue. There are promises and words that God has given to you and you have been tempted to give in. You've been tempted to capitulate. You've been tempted to shrink back, but we are not of those who shrink back, are we, Rosie? We are of those who pursue, pursue. We pursue the promises of God. We pursue the plans of God. We pursue excuse me, the presence of God. We pursue the power of God. We pursue the plans of God. We pursue the goodness of God. We pursue the faithfulness of God. We pursue all that God has for us in this life. We pursue the John 10, 10 life that God has promised us, that you would have life and life abundantly. I want to remind some of you this morning that though it has been difficult, that though you are still in the waiting room, that though you are still believing and crying out for more and crying out for breakthrough, the word of the Lord for you this morning, the word for us as a church this morning is to pursue, 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 because our God is faithful to restore back to your life, to recover back unto you the peace that has been stolen, the joy that has been stolen, that which has been taken from you. I'm believing to encourage you, pursue, 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 because our God is telling you and me this morning that we will succeed, that we will recover all that has been taken. This is the joy I find in being a believer. My joy first and foremost comes in just simply
simply knowing God. My joy comes in knowing him because my knowing him is a reminder that he pursued me. Because let me encourage you, you can only know him because he wanted himself to be revealed to you. You can only love him because he loved you first. So my greatest joy in being a believer is simply that I know him and that I am known by him. And because I know him and because I am known by him, it overflows into greater joy for my life, which is this, that as the people of God, as I've said, I can't shake that we're the people of God, that as the people of God, we can believe for more. We can believe to be restored. We can believe to recover that which was lost. We can believe to live in bountiful and plentiful and overflowing richness because of God's power at work in our lives. We can pursue with great confidence and faith because God has spoken because it is finished. So I want to put that in your soul. I want to put that in your spirit. I want to put that in your mind and your heart. Meditate on that. Pursue, pursue, pursue the promises, the plans, and the purposes of God for your life because you shall succeed and you shall recover all that was lost. In Jesus' name, amen. That's what I want to preach from this morning. That is the promise for us. But as is true of every promise, it does not come without pressing. It does not come without a measure of testing your resolve and your conviction for what you believe God has spoken. And it was, it was no different from David. Now let me give you a precursor here. You, if you remember last week, they had traveled three days to go to Afek to go fight on the front lines with Achish, the king who had been good to them, the king of Gath, who had given them the promise of, of Ziglag. They'd travel three days. Now bear in mind, it's on foot, there are no planes, there are no airplanes, there's no vehicles, there's no jets, there's no, there's nothing. They're on foot, carrying heavy armor, going to the front lines of battle. Three days they travel, only to get there and realize that God has closed that door because God wanted to make sure they got back to Ziglag in time to fight back against the Amalekites. So they get there and they're turned away and they have to travel three days back. Again, sometimes we we overlook these details in the Bible, but it matters significantly. I know Lonnie can't even walk 18 holes of golf without getting tired. We played golf the other day and he's out here complaining. Oh, my calf. I can't barely walk my calf. Oh, I'm struggling because he's unfit. You know, he's not a, he's not a mighty warrior. Unlike you know, yours truly. No, I'm kidding. Jeez, what is wrong with me? But you know, he can barely walk 18 holes of golf. Some of us can barely walk into the into into a cafe without having to go through the drive-through. I'm just I'm just teasing. But we sometimes you know scale over these scriptures like it's nothing. But they walked three days that way to battle, and three days back, and on the end of a six-day journey. Six days they come back to find everything depleted, everything burnt, family gone, wives and children's take, children taken, and they are absolutely devastated. And, 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 and what ends up happening, they begin to weep. I don't know if you've ever experienced such grief, such pain, such hardship, such torment, such angst, that it, it literally, much like our Lord Jesus, who begins to weep, who begins to bleed, uh, who begins to sweat blood from the torment he experienced. I, know, I don't know about you, but I don't know, I have not gotten to the point of sweating blood yet, but I have gotten to a point where I have been under such pressure, such strain, such anguish, that it begins to be debilitating. You weep to the point where you can no longer weep anymore. You weep and it comes from so deep because the pain or the hardship is so, is so tragic that you weep, but you've got no tears left to cry. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but it zaps your body. It takes away every bit of strength you have. And this is again why I get so excited and so passionate about preaching to people who would walk through a valley of darkness like that, that you have a God in heaven who says he gives grace and strength and recovery to those who are weary. This is our God. Because I tell you what, if you've not experienced it yet, and I know many of you have, if you've yet to experience it, there is there are days ahead. Take heart, for he has overcome the world. But before that, it says this, you will experience many troubles in this life. I want to encourage you. It doesn't sound like an encouragement, but it is. There are days that you will experience in this life of walking with Christ. Days of great suffering. Days of great hardship. Days of great pain. To the point where it's debilitating. You can't get out of bed. You can't stop but wail. And it zaps you. And I want to remind you that in those moments, 
you have a God who is an ever-present help, who is going to be your stand-up and your recovery in Jesus' name. And so I want you to put your mind into the, in, and put yourselves into the shoes of these believers, of these uh, uh, of these army men of David. They are already zapped from a six-day journey, only to be further zapped emotionally. And then they get a word from God that they need to continue to pursue because God is faithful to fulfill his promise to them. And they begin this journey. Now let's pick up in verse 9. David and the 600 men with him came. They, they get on the journey and they begin to walk. And it says this, David and the 600 men with him came to the Bessor Valley where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley. But David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. You know, when I was beginning to write this message, all I, all I wanted to do was get to where this passage ends to. Uh, and, and it says this, I'll fast forward to where it says, uh, uh, you know, they go, they go on the journey, they find an Egyptian, the Egyptian tells them where the Amalekites are. And it says this, that David in verse 17, uh, no, David in verse 16, this Egyptian man, he led David down and there they were, the Amalekites, scattered over the entire countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. Verse 17, David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. Now watch this, verse 18, what a great passage of scripture. And David recovered everything that the Amalekites had taken. I want to say it again, and David recovered everything everything, everything that the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing. Woo! Nothing was missing. Young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else had, that had been taken. David brought everything back. David brought everything back. When I read this whole story, I could not wait to preach that, those two verses, verse 18 and 19. David recovered everything including his wives, nothing was missing for young, old or young, old, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. And I would say David recovered all. That is, ooh, that is encouraging. That is the promise of God for all of us. And, and you know, any good preacher will want to dive into that passage. Well, and that, 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 that'll preach for a whole series in and of itself, the recovery of God. But as I was reading this passage, I couldn't, I couldn't help but come back to what happens at the Bessor Valley. And I just, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, don't preach the verse 18 and 19 without first discussing the verse 9 and 10. Talk about the 200 who were too exhausted, who were too tired, who were too worn out, who had been too, who had been through too much to carry on. When you think about this for a second, how tired do you have to be to not be able to continue on to go fight for your wife, to go fight for your children, and to go fight to reclaim your possessions? That is a level of tired. That is a level of weariness. That is a level of exhaustion that is beyond our comprehension. And I think we don't appreciate this too much. And I think at times, and I know I was tempted to do it, you read a, a whole passage of scripture like this, and you want to fast forward to the good part. You want to fast forward to verse 18 and 19. But the reality is you don't get a verse 18 and 19. You don't get the fullness of verse 18 and 19 without first understanding and wrestling with the valley and wrestling with the, uh, the, the, the reality of a verse 9 and 10. David and the 600 men who came with him to Bessel Valley, some stayed behind. 200 were too exhausted to cross the valley. And I said the thing to myself, it is so easy and so tempting to want to preach a message to you right now. Because again, we're in miracle season. You want to preach a faithful message. You want to encourage people, stay in the fight. Keep going because God has given you the land that God will recoup all your investment, that God will bring back to you through you what you've done. But the reality is this. None of us really are the 400 who continue on. None of us are David. And I think sometimes we are too guilty of reading ourselves into the Bible and finding ourselves and hoping ourselves to be the main character. You know, I think uh, as a younger man, I would have preached this and said, well, I, I want to be David. I want to be the man of faith who's going to ride across. And let me tell you something, this, this distance, the, the, now bear in mind, they've traveled six days, they are emotionally depleted, and they have to go and find the Amalekites. You know the distance from Ziglag, where they were, 
to the Bessel Valley was a seven hour journey. A seven hour journey. So it's not for the faint of heart. And they get to the Bessel Valley and realize they are still have another couple hours to go. And so, you know, I, I want to I, I always, as a young man, you want to preach a passage like this. You go, let's be David who doesn't get weary. Let's be David who doesn't get tired. Let's be David who stays in the fight. Let's be David who believes and runs on the word of God into the heart of victory, into the heart of battle and take back what the enemy has stolen. But here's the, here's the reality, my friends. You and me are not David. You and me are not the 400 mighty warriors who went with David to go fight to reclaim that which had been stolen. And, and that's why I felt God so prompt me to not skim over verse 9 and 10 because you and me live in verse 9 and 10. You and me are the 200 who were too exhausted, who were too depleted, who didn't have the strength, who didn't have the energy, who didn't have the resource, who did not have the willpower or the fighting power to endure and to go into the very enemy's camp and fight to take back that which had been taken from us. You and me are the 200 who find ourselves in the Bessel Valley. And, I, and I'm done with preaching that condemns people who find themselves in the Bessel Valley, who are too tired to continue on, who are too tired and too weary to, to, to uh, again, to go and reclaim that. And the reason why I now, as I begin to look at the scripture and begin to do a bit of study, I began to realize why the Lord had me stop at verse 9 and 10. Because if you look at the Basel Valley, if you look at the Basel, and Basel, Basel in Hebrew means this, it is the place of cool water. It also goes, it's a cheerful place. And in fact, if you look at the strongest concordance, it begins to say this, that Basel in the Hebrew means this, good news. I don't know if you are making the correlation. How many times am I going to tell you, church, that the Bible speaks and and there's a thread throughout the entirety of the Bible whose name is Jesus. And the Bible is constantly speaking. And the Bible is constantly pointing us, particularly the Old Testament. The entire Old Testament is pointing us to the reality of Jesus, to the reality of the gospel. Because what is the gospel? The gospel is synonymous with the good news. It is telling us that the 200 find themselves at a place where they encounter the good news, where they encounter, they begin, this is this whole story as we begin to unpack it, is a precursor to the glory and the grace and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when you and I couldn't, that when you and I were at our end, when you and I did not have the energy, when you and I lacked the strength, when you and I lacked the righteousness, when you and I lacked the zeal, when you and I lacked the ability to overcome, to endure, to live and to fulfill the standards of God's great glory in, in and through our lives and to fulfill the law. I'm so grateful that we encounter the good news and the shepherd who leads us, Psalm 23, my shepherd, my shepherd, he leads me to sit beside still cool waters like the Bessel Valley and there I see his goodness and there I see his grace at work in my life that when I couldn't he says I got you when I can't he says I can when I'm weak he says I'm strong when I'm at my end he says I got it from here you ride on my wing like eagles oh my god I want to preach it's so good this whole story is not about you fighting to attain your promise. This whole story is a reminder to us of what we have in Christ Jesus and what he has fulfilled on the cross. It is a precursor to us of what Jesus is going to do and now in hindsight for us has done for us. It's a story of us to remain resolved and convicted of what God through Christ has accomplished on the cross. Because again, if you look at the language in verse 18 and 19, David recovered everything from the Amalekites that they had taken. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else that had taken. David brought everything back. David recovered all. Now put this into the language of Jesus. Jesus recovered everything that the enemy had taken. It's Jesus in whom we know that nothing is missing and nothing is broken, which is shalom. Shalom, which is the person of Christ, means nothing missing and nothing broken. And it's only possible through the living shalom who walks with us and lives in us, whose name is Jesus. Jesus allows there to be nothing missing, no young or old, no boy or girl. Everything the enemy has tried to plunder and taken, Jesus has brought it back. Jesus has plundered all. Jesus has recovered all. This is a great encouragement to you. So the message I'm preaching to you this morning is not for you to fight. 
It's not for you to get the strength within yourself to, to, to fight for your promise and to fight to take hold of that which God has for you or fight to retake that which the enemy has stolen from you or fight to retake your peace. Because I'm aware of this, that the enemy has stolen from you. The enemy has taken from you. The enemy has robbed you because that's what he does. He comes to rob, kill and destroy. But I love that we can rest in the Bessel Valley. We can rest in the knowledge and the revelation, the good news of the gospel that my God will go and fight for me and he goes with me to fight for me to recover that which the enemy has taken that we may have life and life to the full so let this be an encouragement to you church that if you find yourself like those 200 men who were too tired to go reclaim who were too exhausted and had gotten to the end of themselves that that is not the end of your story that your job is to remain faithful your job is to remain steadfast your job is to remain steadfast in your conviction of knowing that I can rest at the Basel Valley, knowing that my God is coming back. And let me show you why I even so strongly believe the correlation of this story with the gospel. Because they defeat the Amalekites, they take everything back, nothing missing, nothing broken, and they make their way back to the Basel Valley to come meet the 200 who were there. And watch what happens. The other 400 begin to say this, that none of those 200 who didn't come and fight with us, who went with us defeating the Amalekites, they can't take any of their plunder. They don't deserve it. But watch what David says. He says this, that no, 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 all the glory for what we have is in, found in God. We have what we have. The victory we have was because of him. It's in God that we have what we have. And so David begins to say this, that though to those 200 who stayed in Basel and the 400 who fought with me shall receive the same. Is that not the picture of the gospel? My God, my God, the 400 represent the Pharisees who try to tell people that they couldn't get in, that they were Gentiles, that they were not included in the promise of God because they, they weren't born into the right family. They weren't born into the right neighborhood. They didn't live the right way. They don't live in the right zip code. They don't have the righteousness of God. They don't have the law. They've not lived. They've not been circumcised. They're not this. But I love that Jesus says this. No, no, no. My kingdom is a, is, a, is vast and my kingdom is expansive and my kingdom is for all. And the, and the God that we serve in Christ Jesus because of the cross, male and female, Jew and Gentile, and everyone in between can take hold of that which Christ has fought for us because he is the one who brings the victory, not you. He is the one who overcomes, not you. He is the one who finds and plunders the enemy's camp and not you. And because it's him, then we all become beneficiaries of the spoils of the good news and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is anybody grateful for Jesus this morning? Is anybody grateful for the gospel this morning? Is there anybody grateful that we serve a God who did what we could not do and gives us that which we could not take back for ourselves. I am so grateful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you give me life. Thank you, Jesus. And this fulfills what Jesus said he would do. And you know, the, the reality is, Luke tells us that Jesus says this, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Many of you know this, but this is the reason. That was the passage that we decided to name our church around. Our church is named Sozo because Sozo is taken from that word save in that, in that passage in Luke. And it means this. It doesn't just mean to save you from death to life. It doesn't just mean to save you uh, in the context of, uh, of sin. But really it means this. To restore, to reconcile, to renew, to heal, to make you whole again, and to save you. This is what Christ has come to do. And this is exactly what, da what God said to David. You shall go and you shall recover all. Because my God is a saving God. From the moment that sin entered the world, our God has been systematically working and ordering and writing and making moves and shifting in the background so that we can get to a point where he can seek and save all that has been lost. You and I were part of that loss that he wants to seek and save. Your children are part of the seek and save that he comes in. And when he says seek and save, God is re reminding you and me that I am going to restore, that I am going to reconcile, that I am going to renew, that I am going to heal and save and make you whole again. This is why we sing in songs and we've been singing as a church lately. We don't sing, I am able. We don't sing, I have the strength. We don't sing, I can do it. We don't sing, I will go. We sing, God is able. We sing, you're not done with me yet. We sing you are more than able because it's in him and through him and by him. And I mentioned this passage right at the beginning this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20. It says this, for all the promises of God are yes 
in Christ. In fact, I want to read it properly to you. Let's just pull it up together because I don't want to get it wrong. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 says this. No matter how many promises God has made, there is no limit to the goodness of God. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes. In who? In Christ. They are yes in Christ. And so through him, not through me, not through your striving, not through your pursuit, not through your works, not through your to the point of exhaustion, but through him, the amen, which means this, let it be so. The amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now watch what this passage continues saying. It says this, verse 21, now it is God. It is not you and me, my friends. It is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, a guarantee of what is to come. This is the story of the gospel. This is the good news. We are pressed for the promise and the pressing tests your resolve and your conviction. Not on how to fight harder, not on how to pray harder, not on how to push the boundaries more, not on how to just, you know, pull yourself by your bootstraps and just, you know, roll up your sleeves and get in the mud. Not that, because, well, at least you are not able. But the, the, the pressing tests our resolve and conviction to trust the finished work of the cross enough to rest in the Basel Valley. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus, this word is so good. Your word is so good. Your promises are so good. Our God is so good, church, that he just says to you, trust me. Trust me. Every promise I've given to you is yes through me and in me. All you have to say is amen. Let it be so. And trust me enough to rest in the Basel Valley. The pressing that I wanted to press in on today is the pressing that tests your resolve. And again, I want to labor on this. I'm not testing your resolve on your ability to fight. But I'm testing your resolve. And I'm testing your conviction to see if you really believe in what Christ has accomplished on the cross. Do you really believe in the good news of the gospel? Because every promise that you're believing for, every plan and purpose that you're holding on to, God is faithful to bring it to completion. Philippians 1 tells us that the God that we serve, he is faithful to bring to completion that which he has already begun in Christ Jesus. And the greatest test in the pressing for the promise that I have found for most believers is we don't know how to rest in the promise of God. We don't know how to Sabbath. We don't know how to find rest in all that God has for us. We don't know how to find rest in the finished work of the cross. And you know, I'm talking to you as much, I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you. You know, we, we felt like God really challenged us on something about a year and a half ago as a family. <clears throat> and in the first month, we were obedient. And it was hard. But we trusted and it was easy to believe that God was going to fulfill what He said He would do. And we were, we were eagerly anticipating. Every morning, we were waiting to see what God would do through our obedience. A month went by. Two months went by. What we're believing for still hasn't showed up. And now it's getting harder and harder to be obedient. Month five shows up. Month six, now all of a sudden we're getting to panic. I remember Kristen coming to me in my room late at night, just crying, weeping, going, did we not hear from him correctly? Did we not hear from God? Because it doesn't make any sense. It didn't make sense back then, but now more than ever doesn't make sense. And we begin to question and we begin to try and go, well, maybe I heard wrong. Maybe I've got to take matters into my own hands. <clears throat> and many a time in the last 18 months have we been tempted to try and take matters into our own hands, to try and figure out how to make plans in our own, to try and make moves, to try to break down barriers and break down walls and make phone calls. And you know how we do it sometimes? We'll do all the work and then because we panic to, to, fight, to try to take back control. And then if it happens, we go, oh, look at God, how good God is. But it wasn't God, it was you. And really, I believe that the pressing is going to test your resolve to stay at Basel, to stay in that, in that place of the good news, to stay near the cool streams of living water and let the shepherd go to work. Let our God go to work. And I tell you, at the six-month mark, it was hard, but I still, I still knew that we had some margin. Then we got to the 12-month mark. And, and we begin to really feel the pinch of the press as a family to really go, well, well, you know, now you're starting to go, did God really say? Did we really hear? 
And now you start to panic. Now because you look foolish. Now because, now because you go, ah, we're at a point now of no return. If we don't intervene now, once we cross this point, we are past the point of no return. Now we have to know that God has spoken. We have to trust in the faithfulness of God. We have to trust in what God has spoken. We have to trust that he loves us enough not to abandon us here in the midst of the promise. And we had to make that tough decision to double down and stay in the Basel Valley, to stay in the place of rest, to stay in the place of victory and to trust and to praise in advance for a victory we were yet to see, for a promise we were yet to take hold of. It took everything in us to choose to trust the Word of God. That was the pressing for us. Sometimes we think the pressing is how hard we can fight. I think the greatest press, the greatest test, is staying when everything in you wants to run, is to trust when everything in you wants to take it into your own hands, is to remain at peace, when everything around you is going to turmoil. And I tell you, we are now in month 18 and we are still yet to take hold of what we have felt God promised us. But let me tell you something, when I got revelation of that passage, of what it is to live in life in the Basel Valley, to be amongst the 200 and live in the Basel Valley, to go, I trust that, if my, that my God has gone ahead of me to places I could not go, to territory I could not enter into, to strength that I did not have, that he has gone ahead of me and that he has already recovered and is bringing back to me here at where I was at my end, all that he has promised me. That is another way. And when I've got that revelation, I tell you right now, my disposition has changed because I, the pressing for us has proven to us that our trust is in Christ alone because the promises of God are yes in Christ. And my job is to simply say through him, amen, let it be so in Jesus name. I hope that's encouraged you this morning. I hope that it has been a message that again has shifted your perspective on what it means to believe for miracles, shifted your perspective on what it means to, to live in the miracle zone, shifted your perspective on how to endure the pressing seasons and the pressing times as you are being formed for the promise that you would have the resolve and conviction in the finished work of the cross. And I pray that that strengthened your resolve and I pray that it's reminded you that we serve a good, good God who is faithful to bring to completion that which he has begun. And the God that we serve, once he begins a work, he brings it back to you tenfold, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Nothing missing, nothing broken, recovered all in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you this morning. In fact, I just wanted to take a moment here. And I really felt so pressed in my heart this morning to pray for some specific things. I wonder if this morning, if you're brave enough and confident, I know some of you in our group, some of you in, the home, in our home, some of you in different homes, um, watching with your own families or Maybe you're watching from somewhere else and maybe this might not be applicable to you, but let the Lord minister to you. If, you. if you are listening to this message this morning and you're saying, Lungs, I, I, I am at my end and I, I have been praying and believing, not for months, not for 18 months like you and Kristen, not for a few years, but we've been waiting for many, many years. And we have begun to become despondent and discouraged in believing the promise. And if we're honest, our resolve and our conviction for what God can do has slightly diminished. If that's you, I wonder if you'd be brave enough and bold enough, if you're in the company of other believers, to just lift up your hand and one of us in the room, one. Someone in the room, someone next to you will come lay hands on you because we're a community who believe in prayer and believe that we are never meant to be alone in these times. Lift your hand and we want to pray for you. We want to pray that God would give you revelation again of his great love for you. That God would give you revelation again of his spirit that lives in you, that lives as a guarantee and a pro of, of the promise and the faithfulness of what's to come. And the Lord would remind you again of what he has accomplished on the cross through Christ Jesus and how that is your portion. So Father, this morning, as we so vulnerably laid bare 
open ourselves up and say, hey, we're at our end. And the pressing has revealed to us that maybe I don't have that resolve and conviction around your promises and what you've spoken. But today, I want to take hold of the good news of the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that you remind all these individuals that what Christ accomplished on the cross was not for the righteous few, but was for the many, was for all. And I pray, Lord, that they remind themselves even again right now <clears throat> that there is nothing and there is no one who is exempt from the finished work of the cross. So, Lord, would you restore to them again their faith? Would you restore to them again the will to fight? And would you give them revelation that fighting for them looks like staying at Basel and fighting for their peace in the land of promise? where we are reminded yet again of the good news of the gospel. Thank you, God. Now I want to pray again for another group of people. Lord, you're so good. You're so good. Pray for another group of people who find themselves in your proverbial base or valley. But you didn't get there and you didn't stay there because you trust God. You stayed there and you got there because you just lost the will to carry on. And you might not admit it to people, you might not say it out loud, but parts of you have died in this journey. Parts of you have died in the pursuit of the promise. You won't admit it, you won't say it out loud. But you know, and the Lord knows, that you found yourself at the Basel Valley, not out of a conscious decision because of trust, but because you've been defeated. And you've lain there, and you've laid some things to rest, to die. And as you consider your proverbial wife and children and future and promise that has been taken by the Amalekites, you didn't continue on because you didn't know and you didn't believe that that was possible for you anymore. And my prayer for you this morning is you just lift both hands to heaven. My prayer for you this morning is that though the, the method and the means by which you got here was out of defeat and failure and death, that you have found yourself in the right place. You may have just stumbled upon the greatest news <clears throat> ever given to man. I pray that God would open up your eyes and give you revelation that you have stumbled upon the good news of the gospel. That where you can't, he can. Where you're at your end, he has. Where you are weak, he is strong. And I pray even right now, you would sense his presence. And you would sense the shalom of God. And he would strengthen you again. Breathe life into you again. Not so you would get up and pursue, but so you would get up and rejoice and praise God in the middle of this hardship because you have found the good news of the gospel and you have found the shalom of God, the peace of God that transcends all understanding. And I mentioned this passage in Luke chapter, I think it's 19 or 9 verse 10. I, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. That was Jesus' words. And I was reading this commentary the other day and, it's, and I just felt to read it. I don't know exactly how it fits in the context of this message. I don't know how it all works, but just felt so strongly to read it out to us. 
when the Bible talks about lost, it's not just for those who like wandering travelers have missed their way in the wilderness. But when the Bible says lost, it's all encompassing. It covers the sick who are lost when their illness has been deemed incurable. It covers lost as in those who are held captive, be it through addiction, anxiety, depression, fear, or life-altering choices. It covers lost as in the outcast or marginalized of our societies, deemed not worth seeking or loving. And it covers lost as in the many who look in the mirror and no longer recognize who they are or have become. And it covers lost as the many who would look ahead to the future and see nothing but death and destruction. This passage that covers and speaks to the lost, it's a reminder that this is not just for a few, but for many. And it makes you realize that Christ came not just to die for our sins and reconcile us back to Christ, but he came that we might be restored both in stature as heirs to God's kingdom and possession, that we might be healed, that we might be made whole again. Today, I declare over our church and your life, Sozo, that you would be restored and reconciled, renewed, healed, saved, and made whole again because that is our God. And this is why I pursue, pursue, pursue the promises and plans of God, not from a place of striving, but from a place of rest, because Christ has accomplished what we could not. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you so much, church, and I pray that's encouraged you. And I'm looking forward to, I might continue on this series to stir our faith, believe in miracles, and know again that in Christ, the promises of God are yes and amen. Be blessed. We'll see you next week. Well, I hope you were encouraged this morning from Pressed for Promise Part 2 and the faith that we can really get from that passage. You know, we really are in a miracle season and believing for miracles as a church, but, but not just for this building, not just for where we want to go as a church, but we're really believing for miracles for you. So if you have a prayer request, if you're going through something in your life and, and you, that, that end of the message that Lungs talked about, uh, uh, that you need prayer and you maybe weren't able to connect with us, would you shoot us a DM? Would you comment uh, on this YouTube channel? Would you send us an email at info at sozo.city? And we would love to connect with you. We would love to pray for you. We are a community that believes in the power of prayer and we also believe in, in praying for one another, that it's not just uh, us and it's not just you, but it's us together as one community. So if you really uh, need prayer, please reach out to us and we would love to help you with that. And if you were encouraged by this message, if, if this was something that, that blessed you, would you consider liking this? Would you uh, subscribe to our channel? Would you share this to your friends that need to hear this, whether it's on your social media or a text message? We would love uh, to get this word out to those who need to hear this. And so I hope you have a blessed day and stay tuned for what's coming up on our Instagram at Sozo City Church for all that's to come. We love you and we'll see you next week.